awesome. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel 22.30. I'm going to start with a scripture that I believe is probably one of the saddest scriptures in the whole Bible, but we're not going to end with sadness. We're not going to end with grief. We're not going to sit down in misery and say, woe is me, woe is the world. Things are so tough. Life is such a struggle. We are going to rise up and make a difference in this world. Amen. So Ezekiel 22.30 says this. It's God speaking. It says, So I sought for a man among them. He would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. But I found no one. Let me read that one more time. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Can you hear the cry? Can you hear the plea in that voice, church? God himself looking for a man to stand. I gotta tell you, there are gaps in our society And I truly believe that God is looking for a man to stand in those gaps. The downfall of our society is when men refuse to stand. But on the contrary, the rise of our society is when men choose to stand. Men, you have a choice today. And we are going to back you up with everything we have. It's time to stand in the gap. There are gaps that need to be filled in our city and they need to be filled by our men. Ed Cole Cole wrote a book by the name of uh, Maximize Manhood. We gave it to all our men at Father's Day, actually. And he made an incredible statement that really redefined men's ministry and the way men saw themselves. He said, you are male by birth, but you are man by choice. What does every woman want? She wants a man who will stand in the gap on behalf of the city so it will not be destroyed. When we look at the peril and the downfall of our city around us, what we have to ask ourselves is are we raising and are we nurturing men who know how to stand? What does every woman want? Every woman wants a man who knows how to stand. In the book of James... He writes, pure religion is this, that we look after the widows and the fatherless. Do you know what? That's a really interesting scripture because the missing link in those two very important people's lives is a man. The fatherless and the widow. Men, God is looking for you to stand in the gap, make a wall so that this city will not be destroyed. It's time for you to stand. What does every woman want? Every woman wants a man who knows how to stand. Let me show you what that man looks like this morning. Are you with me? I'm not scary. Everybody's so quiet. You can be noisy. The first thing that every woman wants is this. Every woman wants a man who will love her with everything he has. I watched the movie Last of the Mohicans last night. 
And I was silly because I started watching it at 11 o'clock at night, so I didn't get to sleep till 2. I know. I couldn't. Once it's on, you cannot turn it off. I'm sorry. Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm telling you, if you want a picture of a man, there is one right there. But one of the greatest lines in that entire movie is when they're running away from the French, as we all should do. Just kidding. <laughs> you like that, Bob. And they're being chased and pursued by a very vengeful Indian by the name of Mogwai, I think, or Mowgli or something. And they hide under a waterfall. And in order for real salvation to happen, he realizes, Daniel Day-Lewis's character realizes he's going to have to leave the love of his life there in order to be set free because they have no gunpowder in order for them to have a chance of survival. And she stands and she's strong and he looks at her and he goes, wherever you go, I will find you. However far it is, I will find you. I won't lose you. I'm coming for you. And I think that every woman everywhere would have been swooning at the thought of a man who says, wherever you go, no matter how far, I will find you. I will love you with everything in me. You want to know why women love romantic action heroes? It's because they are men who seemingly love their women with everything. I loved Braveheart. Greatest scene in that movie, greatest and most tragic was, was when he lost his wife, but he comes back to see that the, the life of his wife was taken and man, he was after blood. I'm like, that's how I want my husband to behave. <laughs> If Englishmen come after me, I expect them to be 50 dead ones on the ground after he is done. And don't we want to feel that love, ladies? Don't we want to feel that passion? We sit in those movies and we think, I want to know love like that. Jack and Rose and the Titanic. Sure, she could have shared the door. But the fact that skinny little Jack sat there freezing his little butt off and ended up dying the Atlantic was a good price to pay to show women that they deserve every ounce of love a man has got. The Notebook. Do you remember the first time you saw the movie The Notebook? Talk about being loved with everything. Jürgen and I could not move for 30 minutes after the movie finished. We were sitting paralyzed in our chairs in the cinema, weeping. Weeping. I want to be loved like that. They died together. It was just so powerful. And he wasn't even sick. And he was in the home because he said, wherever my wife is, that's my home. And oh, my God. I love you like that. No, I love you like that. We want to be loved with everything. Men, we want you to be extravagant with your love towards us. You cannot afford to play the personality card that says, well, I'm just, you know, I'm a reserved kind of fella. I sit back and, you know, I feel it, but I don't show it. You know what? You can't afford to feel and not show because there are Daniel Day-Lewis's out there, there are Brad Pitt's out there, there are Noah's out there and Jack's out there that are very happy to show women how much they love them. 
We need you to step out of even your personality comfort zone to tell us that you love us. Not just show us, and that's important. A lot of men show they love their families and their wives through provision, and I don't want to diminish that. It is extremely important. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Timothy that if a man does not provide for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So definitely love is provision, is providing. But more than that, can you look your wife in her eyes and say from the very bottom of your heart, the deepest part of your soul, I love you. I don't want anyone else but you. There is no one I desire more than you. It's you and me forever. I'm telling you, you will have the wife you always dreamed of if you speak those words. Love her with everything that you have. You know, she married you, and she probably could have married a whole lot of other people, but she married you because she loves you. She wanted to build a life with you. Truly and honestly, don't let a day go by without telling your wife that you love her, that you're so glad she belongs to you. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. What is love? Love is giving yourself every part of yourself. You give up your right to live the life of a bachelor. You give up your right to have other women in your life. You give up your right to be unemployed. You give up your right to sit back and not deal with your issues. You give up your right to be stubborn and foolish and reckless. You surrender all when you take that wife. You love her with everything and you will find that that love will be shown straight back to you. And I want to really encourage the women in this church too that love should always work both ways. It's not okay for you to sit and when your husband tells you that he loves you, just say, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. (laughs) Show him the same love that you want him to show you. Bible says, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man or a woman sows, that they will reap. Perhaps if you're not reaping love, it's because you're not sowing any. I want every person, man and woman, in this church at C3 San Diego to start to love with everything they've got. Pursue her. Woo her. Just because you're not dating and now you're married does not mean you stop dating. Do you know your wife will sometimes run because she wants you to chase her? There have been times in our married life, and you've got to understand my personality is I hate being away from people. My mum was reminding me of a story. She's here in the front row with my dad. The other day, yeah, they're awesome. Give my parents a huge round of applause. They raised five girls. They deserve a gold medal for that. But she reminded me as a kid, I came home one day and I have four sisters and I put my my bag down and I said to her, where is everybody? And she said, well, so-and-so's here, so-and-so's there, this one's there. And I said to her, I don't like this house without people in it. (laughs) 
So you've got to understand my personality is I hate being away from people. People are my lifeblood. I need to have people around me. I don't like to be isolated. I don't like to be alone. But there have been times in my marriage when I have withdrawn from my husband because I've wanted to know if I run, will you chase me? Do you care enough to chase me? Husbands, I want you to seize those opportunities where perhaps, sure, she's being a little bit immature. Sure, she's being a little bit emotional. But will you seize those moments to show her how much you love her? And I remember sitting down in the spare room and I was all forlorn and looking at my watch and hoping that he'd come down, but definitely not wanting to make the first move. And then all of a sudden I heard his feet come down the stairs and he comes and he goes, our bedroom isn't the same without you in it. I'm sorry. I love you. Will you please come back to bed? And that was the word I was waiting for. Off I trotted. (laughs) He loves me. I just needed him to show me. One of the greatest desires of every woman is to know that she's loved. Let your wife know that you love her. That's the first point. Number two, what every woman wants is a man who will protect us from the snakes we can see, but also the snakes we can't see. When I was a kid, my dad was a gun at killing red belly black snakes with a shovel. In Australia, there are snakes everywhere, literally walking down the street and stuff just slithers all over the place. And not just that, we have spiders too. So I don't know what Australia did, but we are cursed with some of the most evil, deadly animals on the face of the earth. So my dad was amazing. You know, all us girls would be standing there screaming and dad would come out to save the day with his shovel and he'd chop that snake's head off and I felt very protected and I felt very safe. Jürgen also tried that once. (laughs) We were at a prophet's convention. Why we were there, I do not know. And we were teenagers, it was just wrong. We were at a prophet's convention at a place uh, in the back blocks of Australia. There were lots of snakes around. Anyway, a red-bellied black snake got into the cabin Uh, of one of the girls' dorms. So we come in and there's this snake sitting in our cabin. So we cry out. And of course, Jürgen and I were not married at this point. And so he, this is a great opportunity to to show people what a man he really was and how he could protect people. Anyway, he, he goes, don't worry, I'll fix it. And he walks in with a broomstick and he's going to take the snake out. So we're all standing outside and we're hearing this crashing and bashing and smashing. And anyway, We open the door and there Jürgen is standing on the bed with this broomstick in his hand as this snake is rearing up and charging at him across the room and he just looked pale as a ghost. Anyway, I said, Jürgen, get out of there. I'd rather have you alive than, than, you know, you prove to me that you're a hero. Come on out. And so anyway, another guy from the cabin came in. He had a bit more experience, looked at the snake, grabbed it, broke its neck brought it out dangling like that. So Jürgen had to do a few push-ups after that just to, you know, regain his manhood. But we want to be protected from those things. It's important to protect your family, men. You know, do the self-defense course, get educated, be smart. But you know, there are also things that we can't see. Snakes that we can't see that we need you to protect us from. The truth is, Adam, where were you when your wife was talking to a snake in the garden? What the heck? You heard the memo. God said to both of you, 
Don't eat from that tree. Don't eat from it. But you see your wife, first of all, she's having a conversation with the snake. And then she says to you, look what I got. Have a taste. Man, you should have said, you heard what God said. I'm not going to eat that apple. And you spit out what's in your mouth too. But instead, he indulged. I don't know. She had some kind of hold over him. I don't know what it was. I guess sex was already invented. But he bailed. He failed. We need you, men, sometimes to protect us from ourselves. You know, men, you're built with these incredible brains. You don't have the spaghetti brain that we have where everything touches everything. Where one thing goes wrong and then, oh, the whole world has ended and how could I possibly and ah. (laughs) You have this fantastic God-given ability to decompartmentalize life. We need your logic. We need your reasoning. Men, when your wives start to spout nonsense and start to hand you apples that you know you shouldn't bite from, step up. Stand in that gap. Do what Adam should have done and said, that's not going to happen on my watch. And wives, you have to submit when he does that. Don't argue and don't whine. You want a real man, then he is a leader. He is a protector. He will get you to walk away from things that you should not indulge in and you have to let him do it. Come on, that deserves a better round of applause this morning. Protect us from ourselves. Protect our children. Set boundaries in your home and enforce them. Don't just lay something down and then buckle and, and fall back as soon as there's a little bit of opposition. You know, uh, Samson's dad was just like that. Had this incredibly anointed, gifted son, a gift from God, and God gave him a specific blueprint of how to raise that boy, just like he's given us. And at the first sign of resistance and rebellion, Samson's dad Folded like a cheap suit. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, you want a wife from the land of the Philistines? Well, I'll get it for you, son. Come on, let's go. But God told you you couldn't have her. Doesn't matter. I want her, for she pleases me greatly. Oh, okay, son, let's go. Saddle the donkeys. Your children, fathers, need you to protect them from themselves. I remember my dad. One of five girls, and my dad is a very, very good man. And as girls, we were not allowed to have DVDs, or back in those days, videos, that were PG, anything uh, that were M-rated. PG was the, the top edge, and even, he was even wavering on that at times. So my sister and I, one day, we'd heard about this new movie that had come out. It was called Coming to America with Eddie Murphy. We'd heard that it was really funny and Dad was out. So, you know, the cat's away, the mice will play. So we trot on down to the video store. We, we rent the video and we put it in and we thought, perfect crime. Mum's out, Dad's out, awesome. We're sitting down enjoying this movie. All of a sudden, we hear the car pull into the driveway, but it's too late. My dad is fast. So he walks into the kitchen and we're just sitting there stunned hoping he won't notice. He won't notice. He's not going to ask. I mean, we're just going to walk through the room. He's just going to see we're watching movies. He's not going to ask if it's M-rated because we always do the right thing. I mean, he's just going to keep walking and get into his study. 
But anyway, as my dad is walking the what? Four paces from the kitchen to the study, Eddie Murphy decides to drop the F-bomb four times in quick succession. <laughs> and I want to tell you, with every F-bomb that was dropped, it was like my dad had been shot as he walked. It was like... <laughs> and then he spun around and he said, what is that rubbish you girls are watching? He made us eject that VHS straight away. We had to march our booties down to Blockbuster and return that sulking. But you know what? I thank God for the boundaries that my parents established in my home. They protected me. Protect your children. I remember a terrible story that, that, that Pastor Jürgen was telling me about a flight. He went on on a plane. He was sitting next to a, a son and his father. And the, and the what 12-year-old son was sitting there reading a Playboy magazine right next to the dad, and Jürgen, of course, not one to let sleeping dogs lie, <laughs> turned to the son and said, buddy, you, you don't want to be filling your, your mind with that trash. You don't want to be reading that. And the father turned to Jürgen and said, that's none of your business. Stay out of my son's life. Like, shut him down. How sad. Here's the truth. God gives us our children to raise and protect. The Bible says to raise up a child in the way that they should go so that when they're older, they won't depart from it. What is this man doing by allowing his son to read that kind of trash? He's setting him up for a lifetime of failure and struggle. Men, we need you. Our city needs you to stand in the gap and make a wall in your homes. Protect us from ourselves. Protect your children. So much is at stake. The temptation is to be the cool dad who lets anything go. But I've got to tell you, the cool dad is the dad who makes a stand in his home and says, these are the boundaries, these are the standards, and we are not wavering from them. Amen. Can I just say too, as part of protection, we need to protect our children from ourselves. Don't share conflict with other people around your dinner table within earshot of your kids. You know that Proverbs 29:11 says, "A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back." Also says again in Proverbs 18:2, "A fool has no delight in understanding, but only in expressing his own heart." Be careful what you let your children listen to. I'm not just talking about movies, television, radio, but what's coming out of your mouth? What's coming out of your mouth? about the authorities in your kids' lives. Their pastors, their teachers, their leaders. What are you saying about them? You're called to be their protector. Man, we need you to stand up. You know, here's the sad fact. Our kids are gonna be pushed into the mud pool eventually. But please, don't let it be by our hands. Every woman wants a man who will protect her from the snakes she can see and the snakes she can't. Be a man of prayer. I thank God that I am married to a man who knows how to pray. I thank God that when crisis and trouble and calamity hits our home and it does hit everyone's home, that I have a husband who knows how to pray and stand in the gap. I believe that there are many crises, many Moments of calamity that have been averted in my home and in my family because I am married to a man who knows how to pray. 
Pray Psalm 91 over your family. Thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me. Only with my eyes will I look and see the reward of the wicked. Know God's word. Speak it over your family. Speak that protection over them. We need men who know how to protect us. Third thing, moving quickly, is we need men who will lead us with strong hands. I love Joshua 24, 15. He says this, As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And I love that. He doesn't just say, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. Oh, my house, they can make their own choices. They can make up their own minds about what God they're going to serve. I'm going to keep an open mind and be tolerant to all kinds of things because, you know, I've made my choices, but I'm going to let them make theirs. No, Joshua was making a declaration about the direction of his family. He said, as for me and my house, together. You know what? When I'm coming to church, I'm taking my family with me. And not only that, when my family goes to church, I'm going with them. One of the biggest tragedies is that women have had to rise as the spiritual leaders in their homes because the men have been dragging the flipping chain. Man, we need you to stand in the gap. What sad stories in the book of Judges where Barak would not go to war without Deborah. And God said, you won't have the victory because I'd called you to bring about the victory, but the victory is now going to go to the hand of a woman. Her name's Jael. She's going to have to take out the enemy with a tent peg because you all were resting on your laurels. As for me and my house, not just me, not just my house. Me and my house. Lead us with strong hands. Don't drag the chain. Lead your family. Lead your home. Be an example that is something that others will aspire to follow. There are men watching you, not just men in your own house, but men in this church, men in our communities who are crying out, somebody teach me how to live. Many who have not had good examples. Many who have to mumble and fumble and and walk blindly through life, wondering how to navigate in family, in marriage, in all kinds of life issues because the men are absent. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap on behalf of the city so it would not be destroyed. But I believe at C3 San Diego, we have a congregation of strong men who are rising who are seeing their importance, their value, who are highly esteemed by the women in their worlds, who are championed to flourish, to stand up, to be strong leaders in their homes, to not let the enemy take what does not belong to him, but to stand in this hour, build their families and build God's kingdom. Come on, give God a shout this morning. Men, we need you to lead us with strong hands. The truth is when you abdicate leadership, You give rise for a Jezebel spirit. What happened when Ahab was wishy-washy in his leadership, his wife stepped up into a position that she should never have had. And men, I put it to you that perhaps some of the problems you are having in your home is because you have abdicated leadership. When men don't lead, women lead by default and they become mean. That's just the truth. When Pastor Jürgen and I got married, I came from a home that was very wise with money. My dad is part Jewish. 
So nothing's getting by that sucker. Every cent was accounted for. Every penny I was ever given was given to me with a six-page instruction manual and very strict instructions that I would make sure that that money was spent in a very responsible manner and way. Jürgen, on the other hand, had a very absent father in many ways. He was present but absent. He's really raised by his mother, and his mother was the Marie Antoinette of money. It just came to her. She just spent it however she wanted. So it was like money grew on trees. So we were two very different currents colliding when we got married. And I made a decision because of some reckless choices that my husband had made with the finances that I was going to be in control. And really, if you know anything about control, it's just fear dressed up in a tuxedo. So here I am. I'm crunching the numbers. I'm balancing the checkbook. And I had became such a mean miserable, stingy woman. My husband would have to come to me with his hat in his hands and beg for money and I'd give him $5 and then I'd want an account for how he spent it. In the end, he did not even know how to spend money. What do I do with this? (laughs) I'm not sure. And I realized through the prompting and the challenge of a very close friend that I had entered into very dangerous territory. I'd become a Jezebel in my home And I'd allowed my husband to abdicate his leadership because I wanted control because I was afraid. You know, women, there are some areas in your life that you're afraid to give control to your husband. But I want to tell you, just trust God. Just trust God. He's got a way and a plan. And you can bring advice. You can bring counsel. You can bring in other people to help, to to challenge, to motivate, to give instruction. But let him lead. Let him stand in his right place as the leader of your home. Your home will flourish because of it. Now, I'm telling you, I'm a prosperous woman. And it's not because of my penny pinching and my fear and my control and the fact that I had to know where every cent went. To be quite honest with you, I know nothing about our financial situation now other than that all our bills are paid, the lights work, I have a home here, I have a rental property in Australia, and I'm very well looked after financially. All that when I let my husband lead. Come on, ladies, give God a shout this morning and thank him for the man that he has given you. Aspire him to be the leader in your home. Men want, you, want to know that you believe in him. Do you believe in him or, or you just reinforce that you think he's a joke, that he can't do it? Believe in him. Give him opportunity to rise and shine. Bible says... In the book of Proverbs, that a wise woman builds her house. Do you know how you build your house, ladies? You build your husband. You stand alongside him and you say, whatever it takes, I am with you all the way. I'm going to let you lead us and I'm going to be a support to you. I'm not going to be someone who's who's just being dragged along, complaining the whole time about how much you suck at doing everything. A wise woman builds her house. A foolish woman tears it down with her hands. You know, one of the attributes of the Proverbs 31 woman, the Bible says that she did her husband good and not evil all the days of her life. Can I ask you ladies, are you doing your husband good? Because you would say, if we sat down and had a coffee, I want a man who leads strong, but do you let him lead? Have you relinquished the reins or do you belittle him? Do you compare him? Do you tear him down? And so he feels emasculated by the queen in his home and powerless to move. 
it's time for us women to wake up and let our men arise. Give them responsibility. They were built for it. They have sharp minds. They are witty. They are strong. They have strong bodies. God created them. They have a DNA mandate to prosper, to flourish, to be fruitful. It's in them. It was spoken over them by your heavenly Father Himself. And we all know that words, God's words never fail. They're in there. If you have to search really deep, you dig it out because there is a leader in your home, but you have to let him lead. Lead us with strong hands. And man, don't you back down. You lead your home, lead your family. Ephesians 5.22 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. You're not going to hear that preached a whole lot anymore, just like we've taken a bay out of marriage vows. But I'm telling you, God's bringing some stuff back in the church because our men are far too valuable to have them denigrated and diminished. Come on, that deserves a better round of applause. There is change coming to San Diego, and it's starting here at C3 Church. Women who love and release their husbands to lead, amen, and, and men who will lead us with strong hands. And the last point, is we need you, what women want, we need you to have the courage to confront. An angel of the Lord came to Gideon, and here he was in a wine press, his self-esteem was low. He was threshing wheat in a wine press, something that should be done out in the open, and he's doing it in this confined place, hidden because he's afraid. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. He's like, hey, are you talking to me? You talking to me? I'm the least of my household. And not only am I the least of my household, my household is the least of the whole flippin' city. Like, you got the wrong man. Not a mighty man of valor. But you know what? God doesn't see as a man sees. He sees the ability. He sees the potential. He sees the seeds of greatness on the inside of you. And it's time for you to see them to get out of that wine press. What I love about this is he comes to him with this, with this great word and he says to him, you're going to defeat the Midianites, the enemies that have plagued you and your city for a really long time as one man. So he gives him this great mandate, gives him this great call, this great mission. And then he says to him, now go and tear down the Baals in your father's house. Men, we need you to have the courage to confront stuff to tear down the bars that were in your father's house. Gideon could have said, well, it's not fair. They weren't my choices. They're not my bars. I shouldn't have to deal with it. That's not fair. This shouldn't be my problem. You know what? Stop searching for fair. Fair does not exist this side of eternity. Now we have a situation and a dilemma and it needs a strong man to stand up and deal with it who will have the courage to confront the very things in his household that threaten to sabotage him from the inside out. Man, we need you to have the courage to stand and confront. I think of Abraham, this great man, so much promise, potential, did so many great things. He had a problem with lying. He goes to Egypt he says to his wife, you're really, really ridiculously good looking. If the king sees you, he's going to want to marry you. So can you just pretend that you're my sister? Gets himself into all kinds of problems, almost gets killed. Okay, This all happens before the birth of his son Isaac. 
although his son Isaac has the same situation, married to Rebecca, a little hottie. They go to a foreign land. He says, you know what? You're really, really ridiculously good looking. When the king sees you, he's going to want to make you his wife. So tell them you're my sister. Here's the moral. What walks in fathers runs in sons. Isaac, we all know, gave birth to Jacob, whose very name meant deceiver. Can you see the progression? We need you to have the courage to confront stuff. It wasn't until Jacob wrestled with God and said, I will not let you go until you bless me, that God changed the dynamic and the dynasty in that family. And instead of Jacob, the deceiver, he became Israel, the nation, the father of the nation of Israel. God wants to change things. But it takes men with courage to confront the issues in their households. Men, you have to confront that stuff. King David said, oh God, search me and know me. Test my every anxious thought. See that there is no wicked way within me. He gave God an all access pass. What God's looking for is access into those very dark corners of your life where the cobwebs have grown and where you have the padlocks on the doors and you've said no entrance. He says, let me in because I can make things better than they've been. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, he who covers sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Isn't that awesome? Do you know that your heavenly father is desperate to show you mercy? But for fear of condemnation, for fear of being exposed, we hang on to that stuff that doesn't just affect us, but affects the generations after us. You know, probably one of the saddest stories I've ever heard is that of my father-in-law who was very abused, beaten, neglected, horrible, horrific things done to him as a young man by his own father. You know, the tragedy is, I'm sure, that he had said to himself as a kid, I will never be like him. But the fact is, because he never dealt with his stuff, he didn't have the courage to confront for whatever reason the very stuff that plagued him as a child were the same things that he ailed his own family with. I thank God for my husband. I thank God that he had the courage to confront those issues that were passed down to him from his father so they were not passed on to our three sons and our daughter. Men, what do women want? We want you to have the courage to confront. That means you can't be absent. We have men's events. You don't go, you know what? It's, it's relatively easy to gather women. Women are open-hearted. They love to get together. But it's really sad if our churches are full of on-fire women who are ready to do anything like JL and take a temp peg and shove it into the skull of the enemy because our men are absent. Men, we need you to stand. We need you to make a wall and stand in the gap on behalf of our city so it will not be destroyed. The demise of our city is when our men refuse to stand. Deal with those issues that threaten to sabotage you. Take out your seed. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, the end of the chapter, Paul talks about, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I reasoned like a child. I behaved like a child. But when I became a man, I put off childish things. In order to become a man, there are some things that we need you to put off. 
have the courage to deal with your stuff. At C3 Church, you are in a safe place. We will not judge you for your issues, but we love you too much to let you stay that way. That's why we have men's conferences. That's why we have Mike Connell out here casting demons out of everybody. That's why we have counselling departments. That's why we have connect groups. It's why we do the events we do because we want to build healthy men and men and in turn build healthy families. It's time for our men to arise. In closing, there was a book written by a non-Christian guy, a social scientist by the name of Rodney Stark. It was called The Rise of Christianity. And he talked about the rise of Christianity from like a backward little cult almost in a small town to becoming this great, awesome movement that transformed the Roman Empire in less than 300 years and obviously still is alive and well today. What were the four things this this fellow asked, Rodney Stark, that made the difference between Christianity staying as Jesus and his band of 12 merry men and becoming the revolutionary force that it is today? It's really interesting. Let me read it to you. The first thing... Is, was in a time of great immorality, men, Christian men rose up who were moral but without judgment, not finger pointing but living by principle and example. The second thing was that in a time of high infanticide, basically that means people killing their own children for religious reasons and sacrificing them on altars, the Christian men pro- protected, raised and loved their children. The third thing, was that in a time where women were denigrated, abused, seen very much as second-class citizens and disrespected, Christian men loved and honoured their wives and gave them dignity. The fourth thing that revolutionised the whole world toward Christianity was that in a time of high plague, the Christian men were the only ones that stayed around and took care of the sick and dying. You're a revolutionist. There is change that needs to happen in this world. And God is looking. The world is searching for men that would stand in the gap. There are gaps to be filled with your name on it. Put off those childish things. Take a hold of the responsibility that is yours. Men, you have been given so much. You really are God's most marvelous creation. Don't let the potential and the destiny on the inside of you die away because of insecurity. We believe in you. We believe in you. And not only do we believe in you, we need you to stand with us. We need you to stand. We need you to make a wall. We need this city to be saved by your example, by your influence. We need you to be a man that will aspire other young men to follow. So this word, this light will not die out in our generation, that the fundamental truths of the morality of the principles of God will not die in our generation. That the world will not get more increasingly wicked, that families would not get increasingly more dysfunctional because men make a choice. I will stand in the gap. There is no responsibility so large. I will not send my family off to church while I sit at home and I watch the sport. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. All right. And we are done and dusted, folks. I'm going to pray right now. Lift your hands to the Lord.